0: To the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast. And on today's show, we have Paul Higgins, who is the founder and head coach at the Build, Live, Give community and also a fellow podcaster. Paul, welcome to the show.
1: Great to be here, Meryl.
0: Let's start by talking a little bit about your background and why you first got into business.
1: Yeah, sure. So my um, shortened version of a long story was I sort of started working for a pretty large company when I was about three, and uh, that was Coca-Cola. My father worked there, and I was sort of indoctrinated into the company, and uh, wherever my dad went, I went. I lived in a country town. And uh, so I've always sort of known business in a way. So whether it was working on the production plant or the production line or watching people work on the production line through to trucks, through to fairs on the weekend, whatever. And uh, then I went to uni and said I would never work there because I also, through uni, I worked there as a merchandiser um, in supermarkets and anything I could do. And um, long story short, I left uni and... Uh, I was about to head overseas, and they said we're desperate for reps. And I said I'll never work for you full time. They said that's fine, do it for a month. And 18 years later, there I was. So um, you know, started as a rep, worked my way up, um, moved across multiple states in Australia, and uh, had a lot of exposure to a, a brilliant company. Uh, Coke was, I think it's about 140 years old, um, just constantly growing, constantly changing, constantly getting some of the best minds and the best people in the world. To look at, uh, ultimately, it was selling uh, sugary water, but um, yeah, it was it was a brilliant journey. And um, then in 2011, I thought um, time to make a change, and uh, then I went into the to the world of small business.
0: Wonderful. And just on your Coca Cola days, there must have been a number of things that kept you there. So, what was your resist? I'm interested. What was your resistance to to taking that role when you were at uni? And then what kept you there for the AP? I
1: think to be honest some of it was just pride that i wanted to stand on my own two feet uh, dad was um you know fairly senior and i didn't want to be seen to be handed a job I-, I wanted to make my own mark and that was probably the key resistance and uh once i got in there and um i've just found my own way of doing things differently so for example when i was a rep they wouldn't give you a mobile phone when mobile phones just came out and uh, I thought that was crazy, but I went and got a mobile phone myself and told all my customers to call me when their stock was delivered. And uh, all of a sudden, my results went through the roof and people are like, what's he doing? You know, he's got some dark secret or something. I was like, no, I was just sort of gaming. I was using technology to, to get ahead and that sort of just saw me change jobs every two years and basically get promoted right through. So, uh, you know, I stayed 18 years because I just get kept getting promoted and getting great opportunities, but... Um, I could see my health declining, uh, not due to work per se, but through to a family uh, inherited condition. And also I could just see that, you know, Coke was starting to get on the nose. Like sugar was coming at a million miles an hour. The Coke company wasn't ready for it. It was in denial. And I just thought, you know, is this what I'm here on the planet to do to uh, to sell sugary water? And, um, look, it's a great company. It does great things, but it just wasn't where my purpose and passion laid. Anymore. Plus, I want to spend more time time with my kids. Which, um, you know, I'm a Qantas Gold for those international uh, travellers. You've probably heard of Qantas, but I'm a Qantas Gold for life because I used to fly so much. So, um, to be flying with my kids on holidays versus flying to meetings all over the world was a lot more pleasurable.
0: Yes. And how did you find that transition? I think it, it can be difficult leaving a corporate role and starting a business. And how did you find that transition yourself? And do you have any tips for other people who are going through that process?
1: Yeah, look, I certainly do. And, uh, you know, that's why I run a community like Build, Live, Give now to to sometimes uh, give people advice on the things that I wasn't given advice on. But uh, first, it was sort of twofold. I felt like a Jekyll and Hyde. I felt like absolutely euphoric because I'd finally made the jump because all my friends said, look, you know, when you... When you cut, you bleed Coke. You know, you're so ingrained in it, you will never leave. And I used to say, I'm going to leave one day, and they'd all laugh at me. So I was actually feeling just euphoric and going to do something completely new and different. So that was great. But I remember the first meeting I walked into, you know, a networking event, someone said, what you do? And for the first time in my life, I could not answer the question. You know, I'd avoided saying that I worked for Coke for so long because everyone wanted a you know, free product or you were a cousin there or something. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I just didn't know what to do. So my my identity had stripped. And I was never a prestige guy. But normally, you know, if you see Coca-Cola, you didn't have to explain it too much. Whereas I just didn't know what I do did. So so that was the really scary component. And then, you know, sort of after a few months of euphoric behavior, I realized that I've got to start making some money here and you know, I was working longer hours than I was at Coke and I was really starting to struggle. So I think the first advice I'd give is the old measure twice, cut once. It's a bit like, you know, be really clear with your partner what the expectations are going to be for the first 12 months. I, I wasn't. I just thought I've been a really successful in corporate. I can just do the exact same thing in small business and it's like day and night, chalk and cheese. So I overestimated my capabilities and that led to a lot of painful conversations with my wife and my family. So um, definitely do that better. The second thing is I'd go and get help. I just thought that I knew it. I, I did get a coach who was okay, but I didn't spend enough time surrounded by people that had already done it. And I think um, that's so important to work, walk in the path of others. And uh, I didn't do that. And uh, the third thing is to not waste time on marketing uh, and what I mean by that is you know I went out and got my website I went and got all the collateral and you know mid six months in I'd actually decided to change everything so I'd wasted all that time and effort so I think you know just get out uh, hopefully you've got some customers before you leave just deliver some great service and then pivot your business and form a brand etc on the way out and you think it's really important, but ultimately, if you've got a really good LinkedIn profile and you've got a great network that you can rely on, that can get you a long way rather than spending a lot of money up front.
0: I think we made some really great points there. And I agree, especially the third point that you were talking about with not investing a whole lot of money up front because your business model is probably likely to change. And I can't remember whether we met through Dan Norris's seven day startup community or whether it was through super fast business, but I know we're both. Part of the seven day startup community. And we've actually had a previous podcast episode about that very topic around launching and trying to get customers and focusing on sales first, understanding that your business model may well change as you learn more about the problem that you're solving and who you're solving it for. And so often I think if you've invested thousands of dollars in a website and marketing material, it could be wasted as you pivot your business and go in a different direction.
1: Totally agree. And I think, you know, this is oversimplifying, but you've just got to get an offer that converts. And I know so many people say it, but it is so true. Until you get something that people, you know, you listen to people, really understand a pain point, like you have done at Be Ninjas, and then you provide a solution to that and people start paying with money, that's when you can start to market and put fuel on the fire. But before that, it is testing and it is pivoting. And uh, I see so many people get that wrong and they try to do it themselves as well, which, you know, is my second point. But I think they're sort of the three key lessons. You know, I um, certainly would go back in time and change if I I, uh, could do that.
0: And with the first point that you mentioned about setting expectations with your partner, I think that can, it's really important, but also I think we can overestimate ourselves as new business owners in terms of what we're going to earn in that first year and and how successful the business will be and also how much work it is actually setting up a business for the first time. And so I imagine that trying to predict those numbers but also having that conversation with your partner or husband and wife would be quite difficult, but very important to set those expectations. Do you have any tips about how you would come up with those numbers with a new business and and how you might frame it for a potential partner? Because I think getting your partner on board is probably one of the first steps in actually leaving a job that you're not enjoying to set up a business.
1: Yeah, look. I think the first thing is just you know, halve whatever you think. So I think if you you halve everything, you're going to probably be right because about fifty percent of it won't work. You don't know what fifty percent. We used to always laugh at Coke. You know, you don't know what part fifty percent of advertising doesn't work, but you didn't know what part. And it's a bit the same with this. So it would certainly you know halve your ex- expectations. And then the other thing is just ask a minimum dollar value that your partner wants in your bank each month right? And and just set that as low as possible. Negotiate. That's one of the hardest negotiations, but negotiate that as low as possible and then just deliver that. And, you know, what I did was the flip side. I used to tell all of the upside of, I had this great meeting, I had this great meeting and all of the euphoria of that. And then I'd also give all my problems. And my wife would just clearly say, well, look, to be honest, I just, you know, that's great, Paul, but I just want to know how much is going to be coming into my bank account so I can budget for what the gap's going to be." Yes. And, uh, my, my wife is, uh, you know, she's a very smart, savvy person. Um, the only mistake she made was picking me, but that's, that's a, a side <laughs> point. But, um, yeah, so I think getting really clear on, on those two things would definitely help.
0: So we've talked a little bit about your transition from corporate into that first year in business and a couple of years of, or many years have gone by since then. So can you talk a little bit about what you were selling or what your, service or product was in that first year and, and how you pivoted and learned and, and what your offering looks like today.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, I, f- I first did some coaching and I was coaching corporate people. And, um, you know, I did qualified coach at the Institute of Executive Coaching and Leadership, did all the right things like a sort of good corporate person would and I uh, wanted to be the best at what I did because, you know, then I could uh, help people. But I realised that a lot of problems that the corporate people were having were ones I couldn't solve myself when I was there. So uh, I then pivoted to smaller businesses and I realized coaching wasn't really for me pure sense of coaching because you know, I've got a lot of experience. I've seen a lot of things in the coach system because, you know, we basically had, you know, millions of small businesses around the world were like consultants. And I thought I want to give more than that. So I sort of pivoted then to advisory. So, you know, how can I advise and be more of an event, a advisor and a, and a mentor? So uh, I did that and I saw two key problems. Um, or pain points. One was around time and the other was around profitability. So I thought around time the best way to do that was through outsourcing because I think, you know, most people couldn't afford to put on resources but they were doing too much themselves and they went specialising. And uh, if I knew Coke for anything, they were very good at specialisation. And then the second thing was around technology. You know, I could just see that people were doing, throwing a lot of labour and often their labour and not getting rewarded for it. So, um, you know, I thought, well, there's got to be smarter technology ways, which once again, Coke was bringing it, you know, um, just you look at a manufacturing line when I was three with my father to what it is now, you know, there's you know, thousands of people that have disappeared into other jobs. So um, that's all through automation. So I basically set up two businesses an outsourcing and a technology and we ran those for around five years. And that was great. It really helped. So I was sort of doing the strategy and then helping people get stuff done through the outsourcing and the technology. And I call that think to act, you know. Let's do the thinking and then really expedite the action. And that was great. And then um, I sort of realised that my health wasn't um, – it was starting to decline with my inherited condition. And I thought, you know, I can't travel to the Philippines all the time. That's where I'd sort of based my outsourcing. And uh, I thought that was unfair on my team. So I basically divested that and then went and started the community. So I started Build, Live, Give. And that was, um, you know, I can talk about that a little more uh, in a moment. And then I also still have a company called Scar My Empire with my other business partner, which is the technology play. And then we tap into outsourcing resources like yours, Meryl, where uh, we get specialists in outsourcing areas rather than doing it ourselves.
0: Wonderful. And I imagine that would have been quite an interesting process in terms of having the outsourcing team and then going through the process of div- divesting that business and then working with a business partner in the technology business. And I know through the work that you've been doing with Build Live Give that one of the the teachings that you have is around the five profit drivers. And I think this is a really clear roadmap for small business owners in terms of how they can improve their bottom line, but also create more freedom in their own lives. And I was wondering if you could talk through those five profit drivers.
1: Yeah, sure. And before I do it, it was interesting that in Coke, I would have championed a whole lot of research to go out and validate these five things. And uh, obviously we don't have the time or the money to do that. So they're not scientifically validated, but they're validated by just pure hardship. So, you know, I've been out seven years now and I've worked with so many corporate escapees and so many small business owners that I could just see a pattern. So I sat down with some really... Um, smart friends and sort of said, well, look, this is what I think the pattern is and then let's put it together. So that's how I came up with the five drivers. They're very practical and they're from uh, first-hand experience. So the first one is personal productivity and ultimately, you know, as most of your listeners, you're the most important asset in your business. So how you spend your time is absolutely critical and, you know, you always hear the saying work on the business, um, not in the business and I think that's really important. And, um, you know, if you can save two hours a day to put it into the other four drivers, I think that makes a big difference. Then the second is uh, ideal client. And uh, I got this so wrong so often. You know, I used to just think anyone was a client because I was, you know, starved for cash at the outset and just took anybody. And then that created problems. And I knew every time I took the wrong customer, but I was desperate for the money. And it always ended up biting me. In the butt, so um, you know, be really clear on your ideal client, and you know, I think niche down as much as you can. I think you do a brilliant job of that at Being Ninjas. You know, really clear that it's for you know entrepreneurs with um and nomads with uh with uh, teams working around the world, working on zero and in growth. I think you know that's really clear. Not I'm a bookkeeper to everyone, so I think that's a great example. The third is around the business model. And, uh, you know, I went from invoicing getting paid or not getting paid through to now. Everything's direct debit. Um, you know, we've got um, a lot of things to do with our our pricing that's improved things. And and I think, you know, you can work a lot smarter rather than harder. And I think if you get the right business model, I think that can uh, certainly help. And I know, Meryl, we've had lots of great conversations around cash flow and how you improve that through the business model. The fourth is around sales focus, and you mentioned it before, and and I didn't realize that, you know, one of my first coaches said, look, sales is everything, and I thought, yeah, look, I've been in sales industry all my life, Coke's one of the best sales companies in the world, it'll be easy, but selling yourself is really hard, and you take it personal, and rejection, I found, one of the hardest things, and when you Coke, everyone's got to deal with you, but when you're someone from Build, Live, Give, um, you know, it's completely different, so it's a lot harder and also a lot of people leave corporate that don't have to go and do the hunting. You know, It was always coming in and you were always getting business and getting leads wasn't an issue. So I think really focusing on that sales focus, especially up to the first million, is uh, critical. And then the last one is you've sort of got all this volume now, so you've got all this work and then you realise that, you know, you might be wearing uh, 14 hats in your business and what I'd recommend is someone just you know you listening to this you just put it up on a whiteboard and you just put a, an organization structure so you've got yourself as the CEO or the owner and then you've got all the roles you'd love to have and then what you do is put a dollar value in turnover that you need to hit to actually put on those roles and you prioritize them so the first one might be a marketing role it might be a project manager it might be whatever and and these roles don't have to be full time they can be uh, contractors which what we do is tap in contractors all over the world but it starts to release the pressure off you because the worst thing you want to do is be a slave to your business where you can't travel the world you can't spend time with your kids and you can't do the things you really want to do you might as well just go back to corporate if if that's the way it's going to be or go back and work for someone else and they can take all the pressure so they're the five key drivers that we've come up with and um you know implemented well they really work for people
0: But there's some great ideas in here and I want to dig into a couple of them. I've got a few more questions for you. But when you were talking about the high-performing team and the organisational chart, it reminds me of it was probably about 18 months ago at Bean Ninjas and I drew that organisational chart. Actually, it may may have been two two years ago. And drew the organisational chart and also the job roles. And at that point in time, my name was still in most of the boxes. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still a good exercise in picturing who I wanted to hire in the business and then having something to strive for. And also, it felt fantastic as I gradually put other people's names in those roles. And there's still a few roles to go, go, but the organisational chart definitely looks different. Two years,
1: yeah, two years. yeah, and I think that the mistake sort of we, I made early on was thinking that you know it wasn't my money, so I was thinking, well, you know, I'll, I'll aggressively get the growth, and I'll just put heads on ahead of revenue, and that really hurt me. So I think you know, making sure that you've got those revenue targets and being really you know getting a good bookkeeping service like Merrill, so you you know your numbers. And you really know the trigger points when to put those people on because you know it's either one or the other, normally That you haven't got enough people and everyone suffers, or you've got too much and then your cash flow suffers. And if you've got to let someone go, it's uh, it's never nice in a big business. But when it's your own personal, like a family, it's it's even harder.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And related to, so I'm just moving on to the your tip number one, which was personal productivity. I know you actually practice a lot of personal productivity methods in your own day-to-day life. And I was wondering if you could share some of them.
1: Yeah, great. Well, at a, at a high level, uh, there's sort of two key things. And, and one is around um, using a virtual assistant, and the other one is using uh, technology. So I think they're sort of like the two high-level themes. And uh, I did... Uh, I was a facilitator for a company called Franklin Covey, which is one of the biggest personal productivity training companies in the world. And I launched their product into Asia called Five Choices. And uh, it was a brilliant blend of the mindset piece and neuroscience. And uh, I took a lot of those learnings out and have applied it in uh, my business and also the other businesses. So I think the, you know, you can do a lot of things around, uh, you know, time blocking and batching and, there's some really practical things, but I think the biggest thing is you just need an extra pair of hands. So if you can get a virtual assistant, whether it's part-time, full-time, to actually remove a lot of the admin out of your role and the things that you're either not good at, not skilled to do, or just, to be honest, don't want to do, and move that off your plate so you're focusing on sales, I think is a huge productivity gain. And then the second is around the technology. So... You know, we use a lot of technology, and especially in the Scammy My Empire business, we implement that for small businesses. But, you know, just think where possible you can replace um, human labour with technology. And what we do is look at a – we look at the total labour uh, expense of your business, and we divide it by revenue. And, you know, for most businesses, that might be, you know, between 20 to 40% of revenue. And what we want to do is as revenue continues to grow, we hold that percent. So we're not putting on more people as the growth comes on. We're actually um, using technology to make sure that fewer people can do a lot more. And then that means you've got more profitability to invest back in marketing, invest in whatever you want to do, build a house or, you know, whatever else. But I think there's probably the two key ones um, to get right from a personal productivity point of view.
0: That sounds ideal with a service business. I know one of the, the pain points of running a service business is often that with increased sales, there's a need to hire additional staff to deliver the service. So that sounds ideal if you can use, leverage technology to deliver more work or generate more sales but not actually need to hire more people. And yeah,
1: Oh, sorry. Just quickly on that. The, the great thing at the moment is we're actually spoiled by choice. It's actually gone the other way that we've got too much to pick from. And that's where Scott, my business partner, is really good at, at uh, looking at what's right for your business. And most importantly, what's right for your business in the future? But yeah, we've got so many things. Like you think of Google, most of us use Google, like, what you can do now with Google versus, you know, 10 years ago what you used to be able to, you know, you used to have a local server and, you know, nothing was cloud-based and you couldn't get everything on one device. And, you know, the, the world has never, from a, a technology point of view, been easier to, to work with. So uh, I really employ people to do that. And, uh, Meryl, I'm happy to share with you, we've got sort of a tech stack document, which has got all of our top uh, tech um, that we recommend, and I'm more than happy to uh, to share that with uh, you and anyone listening.
0: That would be amazing. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And this is actually a really nice segue into online tools. And I know you have you test and learn um, continuously about different apps and tools that are out out there. So I thought I'd, I'd love to get your insights into a couple of your favorites at the moment.
1: Yeah, well, um, the f- first thing I'll do is go to my mobile phone. My my home screen, I suppose, is my life. I'll, I've set a goal that I can run most of my business from my mobile phone anywhere in the world. And as I'm about to go into a major operation, you know, I knew that was going to happen. I'd have to run my business from my hospital bed. So I thought, well, it makes sense to uh, to gear up for that. So, like I said, I think Google uh, and G Suite is uh, my preferred. So I definitely use that. Um, I then use and this is going no priority order, it's I'm just looking at my home screen. Uh LastPass, I think is great to have a password manager. I think, you know, we've got so much information in the cloud these days, and I think it's really important to protect it. And I'm amazed that some people, you know, use the exact same password across everything. And it's like you're just opening yourself up to to um to error. And, you know, if you can have passwords that are created, encrypted. I think that's the best way, but also saves you a huge amount of time. How often do you scratch your head and go, what's that password again? Or how do I log in with, you know, finger ID on most mobile phones? I can get into anything within a, a second. So um I think that's fantastic. Um, obviously, there's the finance, which is zero. I'm a huge zero proponent. Um, I think it's uh, it's brilliant and they're really innovating. And I know, Merrill, you know a lot more about that topic, so I won't go into detail, but I think, um, you know, that's really the cornerstone of your business. And then there's some other things. So we use Thrivecart and uh, also Stripe. Um, some people use PayPal, et cetera, but making sure you're having those payments where it's not, um, relying upon invoicing, I think is, uh, fantastic. And, and having a good mobile app. I use Commonwealth Bank because I think their mobile apps are great. And I also use TransferWise to transfer funds to my team in um in the philippines to pay for them uh zoom which is uh, a great video platform that i can talk to anyone at any point all over the world um slack i'm sort of part slack to be honest i use it a little bit i think it's fantastic for our mastermind that we you're in meryl with with um myself and some other great corporate escapees but um I don't use it all the time, uh, I must admit. Um, My sort of go-to tool for project management is Asana. That's, um, you know, I basically run my personal and my work life out of that. I used to be hooked on a product called Podio and it was good, but I think I've just simplified things and gone to Asana. Um, From a sales perspective, as I said, which is so critical to spend time in sales, we use a software called Copper. So it actually integrates with Google, Google are the major investor, and, um it's just a, a, a brilliant product um I'm nearly there sorry if uh, I'm taking too long
0: didn no, tell is great.
1: A, um I think the LinkedIn app now LinkedIn's not great but for b2B I think it's the place to be so I think you're more familiar with LinkedIn and they're getting better with you know you're allowed to use voices message now um, rather than text and um, I think it's getting better uh, so I certainly recommend that. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, so Downcast is the podcast app that I use. And you listen
0: um, at three times I, speed, don't you? I think I was yeah, doing well, that somewhere
1: it depends on the person. So for me, I listen to myself at two and a half because I'm not that fast talker. But like a New Yorker or someone like that, I'd listen at two. So it really depends on who the person is as to how fast. Um, the the other one is uh, it's a little personal one, but. I, It's a way of life, and the way of life app is it allows you to set key priorities. So for today, I have the same priorities every day, but it's the things that I know are my biggest rocks, the things that I must do every day to be successful, both in my personal and business because, you know, it's all integrated, Um, and uh, I can just tick those off as I go. So if I'm ever a bit tired and I think, oh, what haven't I done today, I can just go in and go, oh, that's right, I haven't done enough content, so bang. It's there. And the lucky last is Messenger, Facebook Messenger. I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, but I love just being quickly able to put my thumb down, talk, and let it go, and it goes straight to my team in the Philippines or wherever my um, people are. And um, it, it's just a nice little quick chat. So, um, yeah, they're, they're my – I basically went through my home screen, and that's uh, how I run my business.
0: Well, there's a wonderful list of apps there and we'll try and put links to all of those in the show notes. When you were talking about Messenger, I read a couple of things recently about the trend in, it was this article was talking about retail and consumers wanting to be able to contact um, people that they're purchasing from via Messenger. But I think there might also be elements that apply to service businesses. I know that we are starting to get more inquiries via Messenger as well. So that's something that we're, interested in looking into and
1: yeah I think chat's critical and even like now I know with my sports I I play tennis still and uh, you know we set up a whatsapp group and you know it's just so much easier so I think people are wanting to have those conversations and and I also do a little bit of work for a live chat company called chat metrics and uh, I think live chat on websites is going to become really important as well because at the moment you sort of hit a website and you, you never you know, it's hard to everyone to set their website up for the way that you think. Whereas if you reverse it and you have live chat on your site, well then, you know, someone can just ask questions and get the response. So I think that's a much better way. And I think with voice, with a you know, the way that Alexa and Google Home's going, I think voice search is gonna become a lot more prevalent than what it is at the moment.
0: Yeah, that's gonna be interesting. I know we had live chat on the Bean Ninjas website in in the first year of business, but then we found it hard to man it and also then we outsourced it but then couldn't ask the right questions to get the right responses to convert, but it might be time to actually come back and have another look at that. And when we were chatting about watching or listening to podcasts at two times speed, that actually reminded me of something that that we do in our business, which is record video updates for each other and different team members and managers. And, again, you can watch those. So we use a tool called use Loom, and you can watch those at two times speed as well. So in, instead of needing half an hour to provide an update, and, and also when people are recording videos, they seem to record, they're much more concise as well. So we found that's something that we've been doing internally to speed up uh, Yeah, and and there's
1: a great little um, app called Bonjoro too, B O N J O R O, where you can send a quick little video off your phone, and then that goes straight through via email, and you can see the analytics if someone's opened it. They can also reply to it as well. And and if you want to watch uh, videos at multiple speed as well, uh, if you're on Chrome, there's um, video speed control. Yeah, video speed controller. Uh, so I watch everything at minimum two times speed.
0: <laughs> it took me a little bit of getting used to, to hear myself at two times speed. And, um, yeah, so you, can, you can
1: slowly build it up. My, my kids think, you know, that, uh, I don't know, I've been taken over by the chipmunks or something. But, um, <laughs> you anyway, know, it works oh, for me.
0: Yes. So we talked about a couple of different financial apps. I wanted to talk about finances more generally and see whether you have any tips for new business owners in terms of managing their finances? And it it could be related to anything. It could be related to cash flow, reducing expenses, reports, whatever. I'll just get you to pick one or two tips and describe those.
1: Yeah, so I think it's really important to know your numbers. When I was at Coke, um, you know, it was such a a mature, sophisticated business, you just had to know your numbers. I was like a a mini... uh, CFO. So um, I think it's really important. I'm amazed at how many people I coach and mentor just don't know their numbers. So the first thing I think is you got to get your numbers correct. So I think using a great service like Bean Ninjas is a good way of making sure that your numbers are right. So you don't have to do that. You can use a bookkeeping service. So you don't have to worry about it. But it's really good to have a good foundation because if you don't have the right numbers in the first place, it doesn't matter what reports you run, you know that uh, garbage in is garbage out. I think the next thing is then have weekly um, meetings to look at your financials. So I catch up with my operations person every week and we look at two key documents. One, we look at zero, So we look at accounts uh, receivable, accounts payable. We also look at the P&L. And that's really to see if things have been coded correctly and whether I'm picking up any double expenses or anything like that. And then the other is a forecast P&L. Now, I don't do it in zero. But what I've done is taken all the data out of zero, and I make an estimate that it's an average every month. So I'm saying, look, this is what I think my p is going to be for next month, which is a live one, and then I go through with my operations person and we look at how we can improve it. So do we need this subscription or not? And we've broken it down into basically subcomponents. So every – and I've got a ratio page, so I've looked at all my key ratios and look at well, how can we set goals around improving those ratios, and then what are the actions we're going to take in our financials? So um, there are definitely two things I would do, and I do those weekly, and um, then we go in a bit more detail at the end of each month. So I think um, that's definitely worth it. And the other one then is something that I've just picked up recently, which they're saying that about five to seven percent of expenses. Uh, especially your IT subscription. Like I talked about my stack, you know, adding up, that all up, it, it is a fair percent. It's about 20% of my revenue is a rough rule of thumb. And, um, you know, in some cases that's higher than um, labor because, you know, we run a pretty lean business. And um, there's a thing called Double D-I-V-V-Y. So I haven't used it, I'll declare, but I'm going to look at it because what it does is puts all your expenses in, that are IT related as an example and it says what it should be, and if any amounts are incorrectly charged, it'll automatically hold that. So, you know, you think about whatever you're turning over or your cost base is, and if you're got an error rate of five to seven percent on average, you know, there's some money that's walking out the door. Wouldn't it be great to spend five to seven percent more on marketing to drive more customers? Rather than uh, giving it to someone and you're not even aware of it, so there are a couple of key things that I would recommend, Meryl.
0: It is scary to think about five to seven percent um, just kind of walking out the door. So that's a tool that I'm going to check out as well. And if you're not using Divi currently, um, I'd also recommend actually looking similar to what Paul described, sitting down and looking at your accounts weekly, or if they're not available weekly, monthly, to keep track of. Subscriptions and other costs that you might be able to cut out and also checking whether you've actually been charged correctly because it's not that uncommon for incorrect charges or fraudulent transactions to go through. So if you're not looking at those things regularly, then you're probably not in a position to follow them up or get them reversed.
1: Yeah, and it's funny it As in corporate I used to, you know, hate when, you know, you weren't hitting your numbers and all of a sudden someone would say, okay, now the cost cut, cutting is going to come. So, you know, can't travel, can't do this, can't do that. And, you know, I used to always go, oh, I'm so frustrated by that because it's so short-term. But I think the actual, it's a good discipline to constantly ask yourself, do I really need that? Do I need that expense? And um, look at your numbers and, and know your numbers and the other one, which I think these days we're getting a lot better, if you've got um, a lot of customers on uh, direct debit that I mentioned before, but I think it's you know that cash gap as well, where you know you some people um, you know spend and then when the tax bill comes or whatever they haven't uh, covered for that. So I think it's uh, really important to you know be really careful about why you're spending money, and the biggest expense there is suppliers, and we've got. 160 vetted suppliers, as I said, Merrill's a key part of that where someone comes to us and says, look, I need a graphic designer, I need a whatever, we recommend a couple of key people because I think that's where I've seen so many people lose money. I call it contractors and, you know, they get someone and then the work doesn't work so they've lost the revenue upside of the work not working but then they've also lost time and picking someone again to do it. And that's where I see a lot of small businesses lose profit by just picking the wrong suppliers. So that's a key thing, the gap that we try to close because I just see that happen so often. I, I had one company, you know, um, unfortunately $14,000 paid for an online course and I never saw, never saw the light of day. And, uh, you know, that's effectively was my profit for the year. So I had to go face my wife and say, hey, sorry, that uh, holiday we had planned, um, it's not going to happen this year.
0: <laughs> that would have been an awkward conversation.
1: It was very awkward for me.
0: (laughs) There's some fantastic financial tips. I especially enjoyed that section, but that may be the accountant in me. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to wrap up, Paul, by seeing if you had any closing tips, but I also wanted to just quickly ask about how you educate yourself because I know you're staying at the cutting edge of what's happening with different forms of technology. I know you read and listen, or it might be more listening to podcasts. I think you read a lot as well. So i was interested in, in how you educate yourself and, and how you decide on what those sources are.
1: Yeah, and look, uh, it's funny going back to that conversation about my wife where, you know, I think she wishes that I did a little bit less of this because, uh, you know, I'm just an avid learner. I'm always trying to learn, and, and that's, I think, what, part by nature but part by being in the coke company because that's the way we were sort of, you know, ingrained in us. But uh, the big one's podcasts. Um, I fall asleep a lot when I read. Um, I think some of that's got to do with my condition, but I can't really read, whereas listening and multitasking I can. So if I'm on a train, I'm hanging out at the washing, I'm doing whatever, I'm walking the dog, I listen to podcasts and it really stimulates I'll find something great and what I'll do is um, I'll save it to give to my community so that um, they get value from that or I'll forward it to someone. And then what I'll also do is uh, tag it in Evernote, uh, which is actually one app that I forgot to mention is Evernote. I basically tag it so that if I ever think of writing an article or someone says, hey, Paul, do you know anything about whatever, I can go back and look at all the podcasts and a summary of those. So it's like a constant knowledge pool that I've uh Developed, and I've been doing that since I was eighteen. So I've got like um not in Evernote per se. It used to be in paper, but now I've converted it all over. So I've just got this massive knowledge pool. So um I I love doing that. I um uh, to stay relevant every day. I listen to I've got a Amazon Echo, and um which is fantastic. I, I highly recommend them. Um so I have a uh, it's called a back ground uh, back back. Back briefing, I think it's called, if you say back briefing, and you can load it up. So I have the New York um, uh, Times, I have SBS, I have Fox Business, and I have uh, Comsec. So I sort of listen to those, and then I'll go buy a certain podcast. So i sort of listen to those, and I'm in the shower, whatever, I'm, I'm getting that noise. It sort of sounds like uh, I never do anything outside of work, but that's not true, I do. <laughs> Um, and then the other one is Google News. They've just launched the new Google News, and it's brilliant. It can basically grab any topic and filter information around the world uh, to your hand. So I don't watch a lot of commercial t- TV anymore, but I, I use that to filter the information that I'm really interested in. And and to be honest, a lot of commercial TV's got things that, you know, I, I think um, uh, upset me, and up, uh, you know, it makes. You know, I wish the world wouldn't do those things, but they do. So I want to look at, well, what are the positives and and how can I um, can help my clients? So there's some of the key things. And then the last one, if you do get the opportunity, is um, go to events. I think meeting really smart people at events is a great way of doing things. So I've met Meryl a couple of times uh, in person. And I know we catch up every week, but actually meeting someone face-to-face and having a really good stimulating conversation I think is a great way to educate as well.
0: And I quickly wanted to mention that. So I'm part of Paul's mastermind community and join a group call every week where we talk about a whole range of different interesting business issues and the group collaborates and Paul facilitates that and also shares his wealth of knowledge. And, Paul, could you quickly describe who else might – so what kind of profile of person might benefit from your mastermind and how would they go about finding you?
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks. So uh, – so- most of it is uh, someone that's been in corporate, uh, senior in corporate, uh, had a great career. Now they've been taking the brave step and running their own business. And typically, you know, they've sort of gone through that first year. It probably hasn't quite been what they wanted. Uh, they're entering in this second or maybe third year and they're thinking, you know, I might have to go back here. I might have to go back to corporate. And what we want to do is actually help you um, to never have to do that. So, um, you know, corporate's got its place, but we think it's great to uh, to be able to work from anywhere in the world with the people that you love. So if um, you're in that position, and um, you know, definitely consider us, or if you're someone that is um, growing really fast, so you've hit the market really well, but you need to sort of build the processes and the teams behind you, uh, including that technology and the outsourcing, so you can keep pace of your growth certainly love to uh, to help you as well and you can just find out more at buildlivegive.com
0: wonderful well thank you so much for coming on the show paul it's been a really enjoyable chat with you and i think you've shared some wonderful and, and interesting and relevant information for other small business owners and people who are looking to make that transition from corporate life into their own business so thank you once again for coming on the show
1: yeah, look, no, my pleasure, uh, pleasure, Meryl, and it's really great working with you. I, you know, I think you do a great job for our community and for your clients. And, um, you know, I think it's really important to focus on sales but have someone like you with your team actually um, providing the right financial information to take the next step.
0: Perfect. See you again next week, Paul, on The Mastermind.